What has come to be known as the diversity, equity, and inclusion profession started in the 1970s and really began to ramp up in the 1990s. Each year, businesses, school districts, police departments, city governments, universities, and so forth spend an estimated $8 billion annually on DEI trainings. This money is spent on things like implicit bias trainings, anti-racism workshops, cultural competence or critical consciousness work, and more. And a recent study reported diversity department budgets at Fortune 1000 companies averaged around $1.5 million per year, and that budgets for diversity departments can range from $30,000 to about $5.1 million each year. And when diversity was housed in human resources, the average annual diversity budget was $239,000. Needless to say, DEI has grown into a big industry. There's just one problem. DEI trainings don't work. Hey, y'all. I'm Abdullah, and this is the Equileader Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the Equileader Podcast. I am your host, Abdullah Muhammad. I am an equity educator and DEI professional, and I've been leading and managing teams for over 25 years. Thanks so much for tuning in or downloading this podcast. I hope you enjoy it and that you derive some value from it. So simply put... This podcast is here to give practical and actionable suggestions for the frontline DEI professional. So without further ado, let's get into it. Equileaders, what's good and welcome. So we are here to discuss all things DEI, that is diversity, equity, and inclusion. We've got suggestions, recommendations, and solutions for you equity folks out there seeking to do great equity work. Some things may be clear solutions, but most will be what I believe are effective suggestions that you can incorporate into your professional practice quickly or that will give you a roadmap to get you there and what obstacles you might encounter along the way. If you haven't heard the show's trailer, it's just a few minutes and I'd love for you to go back and give it a listen. But as I describe in that promo, you are the Equileaders and this podcast is for you. It's for those of you on the front lines dealing with clients, students, employees, patients, or customers every day and who care about equity and access to resources, treatment, experiences, outcomes, and more for the people you serve. So before we jump into why DEI trainings don't work, let me first tell you just a little bit about myself. If you know who I am because you've attended an event I've done, or you know me from the Christian Soldier podcast, that is dope. And I'm so glad that you're ready to rock with me on this podcast as well. But if you don't know me and you just happened upon this podcast and you're like, wait, who's this dude? (laughs) Why should I listen to anything he has to say? Here's just a brief introduction. As I said, my name is Abdullah Muhammad. I'm currently a DEI consultant and educator. I'm also a public sector executive, and I lead a team of several managers and staff who currently serve about 80,000 clients worth about $50 billion in annual taxable revenue. 
I've led large and small teams since the mid-1990s across several industries. So I've led teams in business, marketing, social work, mental health, finance, and sales. I started my DEI journey way back in college in the early 1990s, dealing with issues of culture shock and anti-black and anti-LGBTQIA plus bias that the black and queer students were experiencing at my university. I was one of the key people responsible for overhauling an entire state's child welfare system through facilitating trainings for social workers, judges, clinicians, attorneys, medical and mental health providers, and so forth. And I continue to do work in that area today, as well as do DEI work with churches and faith organizations, with school districts, city and county governments, and still in private industry. And at this point, I have personally trained or coached thousands and thousands of people. And I do as much work as I can in my local community around DEI and social justice. And lastly, I'm a historian and a political scientist by training, and I like to study political behavior and socialization, public policy, and implicit bias and its impact on our systems. And oh, if you didn't catch it already, I am also the co-host of the Christian Soldier podcast with my good friends Andres Amador and Justina Kenyi. So where that podcast is more general and more concerned about, I'd call it changing hearts and minds, this podcast is here to equip you with something tangible you can deploy when you go to work tomorrow. So hopefully that answers the question of who is this guy and why should I listen to him? So let's get back into it. As I said in the opening, DEI trainings don't work. You didn't mishear me. So if you've attended any DEI training of any kind, you probably already have a sense of this. But what I mean by they don't work is this. They generally don't create greater diversity, equity, or inclusion, and don't really seem to move the needle for anything long term. But we keep throwing good money after bad and spending billions of dollars on them. Well, and other DEI efforts too. So this isn't just about the DEI workshops themselves, but the deeper work. So let's see if this sounds familiar. Your organization has identified very clear and compelling data that demonstrates measurable disparities for marginalized people in your work. You know and are very well versed in the phenomenon of implicit bias. You believe in social justice and your organization expresses a commitment to be better in this area. So you begin to strategize with you and your organization or whatever team you have. You begin to strategize about effective ways to improve your team or your organization with respect to equity and inclusion. So it's decided to host a training. You hire consultants or experts to deliver it, and you're generally excited that something is being done. When the training or the workshop is announced, you begin to hear grumblings from some of your colleagues, but you generally dismiss them because who can be mad at creating equity and equality, right? So the trainings come, and despite a few poor reviews from people you've already dismissed, they're generally well-received, and the event is considered a success. Then a few weeks go by, then a month, then a few months or even longer, and nothing has changed. There's not any follow-up, there's no next steps, and the rush of adrenaline and good vibes people had immediately after the training seems to have dissipated. 
after a while, it seems like everyone is basically back to business as usual. And then you think, wait, I thought we said we were committed to this. What happened? So what did happen? Why didn't the trainings work? And why do we keep spending money on them? So that's what we're going to spend the rest of this episode discussing. Now, after being involved, invested, and even profiting personally from DEI trainings and workshops, I think they don't work for four reasons that I'll get to. And the format for this podcast will be shorter. I'm a teacher and a talker, and Lord knows I can go on for a while. I won't do that here. This will just be content, hopefully, that you can digest on the drive home or on the drive from work or you know, going on a quick walk or doing a quick load of dishes or something like that. So um, like I said, they don't work, and I don't think they work basically for four main reasons, okay? So one... DEI trainings don't work because we start with two deeply flawed, and I believe actually completely incorrect, premises. And the first of that is that at this point, we have all heard the phrase that knowledge is power. Well, I think that's a crock. We were even taught that as kids, right? So remember this. Right. How many of you heard that schoolhouse rock? Who knows how many times? I'm only a bill sitting here on Capitol Hill, right? It's nostalgic and it gives us all the feels, right? So, newsflash though knowledge is not power. So, let's just stop saying that. And more importantly, Let's stop believing that. So if you say knowledge is power, I'd recommend jettisoning that idea from your mind immediately. Knowledge is not power. It is the application of knowledge that makes it powerful. So that schoolhouse rock clip was not wrong. We just missed the nuance. It's not the knowledge that makes you powerful. It is what you do with what you know that makes the information powerful. And what's interesting is that as you hear my voice say this, you already know this. I heard someone say once that if knowledge were power, then all librarians would be millionaires. Kind of chuckles, but now the illustration breaks down for a few reasons, but I think you get my point. So as an example, I've heard for years that I'm supposed to eat healthy, expend more calories than I take in, get seven to eight hours of restorative sleep each night, and so forth. As a person, I have access to every single piece of information, aka knowledge, about being healthy. But for me, it has not proven to be powerful in my life because it has not been applied. I also heard once, to know is to do, and to not do is to not know. So I know the knowledge in these areas, but I lack the wisdom of application. So as it relates to DEI, I call this trying to change hearts and minds. So when we undertake DEI trainings, we approach them with the same flawed knowledge is power premise. We think that Implicit bias, racism, sexism, queer and transphobia, rabid and toxic political partisanship are intellectual realities. So 
We think that if we just give people enough information or the right information, it will change their minds and they will then behave differently and it will make things better. I'm here to tell you, and you already know, that that hasn't worked. You're frustrated because it hasn't worked and you're not really sure how to fix it. Well, I'm in that same boat too. Now, the other flawed premise flows from this. We think people will behave differently because we have erroneously believed that we as humans are rational creatures. We are not. We are deeply emotional creatures. And when we do DEI work, we fail to take this into account. So change is this iterative and emotional process. And according to neuroscientists, Change begins in the emotional centers of the brain, in your pleasure, pain, fight, flight center of that part of your brain, right? Not in the logic center. And the emotional part of the brain, which doesn't, by the way, have the capacity for language, that part then has to communicate with the logic part of your brain to explain it, give it language, and make it make sense. Then the brain does whatever it does for habit formation and so forth, but that is not initiated by a logical process. So the first reason that DEI trainings don't work is because we start with that flawed premise that people can get enough information and that will change them. So the next reason why DEI trainings don't work that I have noticed in in most of the ones that I have attended and in the early days of my practice, I've done this myself is that we insult people. So if you're talking about racism and you're using the race prejudice plus power equals racism definition and then say to people that because those who've come to be called white have ultimate social power, that they are inherently racist, I've come to believe that that is insulting and that is massively counterproductive. So. Let's see, insult people, then ask them to change. Yeah, because that works, right? No, can't see my head shaking, no, but you know it doesn't. Well, for example, when we're discussing sexism, I can tell you what helped me understand the reality of patriarchy and toxic masculinity, and I promise it was not someone calling me a sexist. When someone insults you or calls you a name, you are automatically defensive. That's just human nature. And sometimes, You only have to imply the insult for people to be preemptively defensive. So think about this. You've probably seen this too. I've witnessed countless times in trainings with people where they come and they sit with the crossed arms and the pursed lips and the side eye and the frequent sighs and the eye rolls during the session. They clearly don't want to be there. But they're there because they were what? They were voluntold to be there. So already the environment is hostile for them. Couple that with the fact that they believe they'll be called a racist or a sexist or whatever. Or they believe that the training itself is some kind of politically correct thing and that's a waste of time because in their mind, all this equity stuff is really divisive and, which I've heard people say this before, we really don't have a problem with all that here. So 
Bringing these things up is just divisive and makes people uncomfortable. So let's not do that. Has anyone heard that besides me? I would imagine so. So if you approach the training from that perspective and you do that long enough, when it comes to building teams and building people in your organization, you negatively impact the morale of a place. It also, by the way, could increase turnover, and for some, it can make the work environment feel hostile. And if that is the environment for the staff, what do you think the clients, students, patients, and the customers are experiencing? So starting from a framework that disrespects the autonomy or the agency and humanity of someone while telling them to respect the humanity and the agency of someone else is a bit crazy-making. Another reason why DEI trainings don't work is because when you force an opinion on someone, they tend to double down on their previously or their currently held belief or develop a stronger belief in the opposite direction. For example, an article published in 2018 found that when a group of white subjects read a brochure criticizing prejudice toward black people, the reading actually reinforced the biases that these people had against black people when they felt they were pressured to agree with it. On the other hand, if the white participants felt they had a change in perspective that wasn't forced on them, their biases were reduced. That said, organization-wide training on this topic keeps people on edge and it isn't the most conducive to creating or understanding or even improving outcomes. So much of DEI work seems to be like this. Now, when done incorrectly, which I believe is most of the time, DEI experts, as we call them, or we as coworkers attempt to force beliefs on people. And then we penalize, sanction, and even cancel people when they don't get with the program and don't buy what we're selling completely and immediately. Now, there's one more reason that I've identified about why DEI trainings don't work. I'm sure there are others, but these are the top ones that I've identified in my practice over the last, over the last several years. But the final reason that they don't work is really connected to all the things I've already said previously, but I felt that we should state it more explicitly. And that is, I believe that we aren't always aware of what we are really asking people to do when we approach this work. So consider an iceberg. Whether it's anecdote or science, we're told that what, 90% of an iceberg lies underwater. By the way, it is science, and it has to do with the density of the water and the iceberg at the surface versus the density at the base of the iceberg and all that, but there is a scientific explanation available. Anyway, like an iceberg, much of what we commonly call worldview or identity are significantly below the surface. So if we were in a workshop right now, this is where I'd show you an illustration of an iceberg. An iceberg is a good analogy for our worldviews, beliefs, and core identity. Because the deeper under the water you go, the closer you get to those core beliefs that were learned in childhood and the early or the formative years of a person's socialization. And that's where beliefs about race, ethnicity, sex, gender, politics, money, religion, and so forth live. And all these things together make up a person's worldview. 
And these things are hard to change because to change them is extremely consequential to a person's sense of self, to their understanding of the world, and maybe their whole psychological equilibrium. They're deeply connected to our emotional centers. So if I wanted to go to a restaurant, for example, and my friends wanted to go to another, I can be more flexible because the stakes as it relates to my identity are pretty small. Now, I can express taste like, well, I don't like that restaurant. I prefer this restaurant, but whatever, I'll go along. But if I've come to believe and based on my socialization have accepted as fact a reality that tells me that there are only two genders, and then I'm asked to accept a new paradigm immediately, one would have to appreciate the fact that this is going to take a little time. That time, I would argue, is directly proportional to the amount of cognitive dissonance being addressed in the change and how deep-seated the other point of view is. So changes to less consequential things and the things that we can see above the water are generally easier to do, but the changes we are asked to make as a result of things we encounter in a DEI seminar, not so much. They are deeply, deeply embedded things. And DEI trainings don't work because we're asking folks to change those things and we don't really know we are doing that. But we know change isn't like that. So when we invite or mandate people into a DEI workshop, we are really asking people to change and reorient the deepest parts of their identity, their socialization, their family beliefs, and so forth to an entirely new way of being in and seeing the world. And often we expect them to change immediately without any residual signs of the old way of being. And when they don't, we sanction them for it. But change isn't like that. Change takes time. And we want others to change, so we have to expect and honor their process of change. Being on the path is all we can ask for, assuming they're on the path. But let's start respecting that in people, because why? Because they deserve it. So, what's all this got to do with, like I said before, practical and actionable information? Now, if you're listening, you're probably asking yourself the question, wait, Where's the practical and actionable stuff? Well, hopefully you didn't miss it. Because before you start any journey, you must first be clear on your starting point. Message! DEI trainings don't work, and now you know why. Or at least I've given you the language to express what you may have been feeling all along. So that's the practical and actionable thing. So for this first episode, the practical and actionable step is to give us the GPS orientation, the you are here, as it were, on this mental map. So I hope you enjoyed this inaugural episode. Next time, the other side of the coin, how to make your DEI workshops and your DEI work more effective, because they can be effective. I said they don't work. I didn't say they couldn't work. So next time, let's figure out how they can work. So that's it. That's our episode. Thanks for listening. That's the end? <laughs> yes, Janet, it is. So if you have any questions, why don't you go ahead and hit me up on Instagram at that dude, D-A-T-D-U-D-E-D-U-L-L-A-H. 
So until next time, Equileaders, good luck in those trenches. I'm right there with you. Peace. The Equileader Podcast is a production of Monarch Training and Development.